1: We have a logo too and we are back at it. Welcome back to another edition of the Pistols Firing Podcast on what was an absolutely glorious start to 2022. I am Carson Cunningham joined as always by Colby Powell.
0: Colby, OSU's got a logo too. We've got a logo too, Notre Dame. Welcome to Big Boy Football. Welcome once again as Notre Dame. Every time they get put in these bowl games, just because they're Notre Dame, they get their brains beat in. It happened again. This time it was at the hands of Oklahoma State. Biggest comeback in school history. Notre Dame since 2004 was 79 and 0 when leading by at least 21 points at any point in the game. That is now 79 and one. Congratulations on your green and gold. Our orange and black is just a little bit brighter on this Monday.
1: And I can't even hate on Notre Dame, the way they, they kicked O-issue pillar to post in the first half. I think you just, you got to give it up to Oklahoma State, man. They, they really brought it in the second half. Man, that, that first half was really ugly. I want to get into the game, kind of how it played out. Um, but first, let's hear from C- Chris's University Spirit, your one-stop cowboy shop. Be sure to shop at Chris'sUniversitySpirit.com. Go get you some Fiesta Bowl champs T-shirts. I'm sure we've got a logo, too. We'll be printed on some shirts in the very near future. So be sure to shop at Chris's University Spirit. What a ride it's been with Chris's this year. And, Colby, let's just get into the game, man. I mean, we talked with Caden McFarland leading in. Um, we saw Notre Dame in the first half. Really kind of take it to Oklahoma State. And to me, the most shocking thing of the entire first half is Notre Dame has Jack Cone, who will not confuse anyone for Patrick Mahomes in terms of throwing the deep ball. He's a dink and dunk quarterback. But Oklahoma State sits back on defense with their three defensive coordinators and essentially get picked apart. Cone throws for over 300 yards in the first half. Just what do you make of the, the first half defensively in the game plan with this new look defense with three, apparently three play callers on defense.
0: Yeah, it was wild watching that first half. Oklahoma State playing a lot of off coverage. Notre Dame receivers had a, a lot of room to work. And Jack Cohen was just kind of dinking and dumping the way down the field. And then you decide to dial up the zero blitz. Nobody has the running back in contained, So obviously Chris Tyree gets the 53-yard touchdown there early on just an easy little flip over the top of the blitzing defensive line from Oklahoma state. But I thought it was really puzzling how much room they were giving Notre Dame. It just seemed like they weren't, it seemed like they were playing into the strength of their opponent. I mean, Jack Cohen from his time back at Wisconsin, and I, I for some reason, I didn't even put two and two together. He was the same guy that used to be the game manager at Wisconsin, and then he became a game manager at Notre Dame. He threw the ball 68 times on Saturday, which is just remarkable how Oklahoma State forced Notre Dame to abandon the run game because it just wasn't working at all. Kyron Williams doesn't play. I understand that that's part of it. I don't know how big of a difference that would have made because there just weren't any holes there. And I I don't know, Kyron Williams maybe helps, maybe he doesn't. Um, But anyway, Jack Cohen throws the ball 68 times in the first half. You would have thought that he was Tom Brady, Peyton Manning. He was just taking what the defense gave him, throwing it all over the yard. Um, The first half was definitely a little concerning Carson at 28 to seven. I mean, I don't think it's crazy. I think we were all thinking it. We're like, yikes, this is the opposite of what we thought. Going into that game, it's like, hey, this is a great chance to up your brand nationally by beating Notre Dame. At 28-7, to Carson, I was thinking to myself, I'm like, what's the opposite of making people respect your brand more? Oh, that's right. It's making people bury you for another decade because you got run off the field by a Notre Dame team on national television on New Year's Day and then halftime happened, and then the third quarter happened, which has been a poison for Oklahoma State all year, and then they just lit the entire world on fire. Carson, I'm still in a little bit of disbelief as to how that second half played out.
1: Yeah, I mean, halftime, I was like, I can't believe I picked Oklahoma State. I mean, what what was I thinking? I mean, Notre Dame's got NFL talent. They couldn't cover Mayer. The tight end that that Caden pointed out so well was Baby Gronk, and he, he certainly looked like that in the first half, but I kind of thought most of it was Oklahoma State's doing. I mean, this reminded me so much of the first half against Baylor. Remember? uh, What was that backup quarterback's name for Baylor? That OSU injured and he wasn't even able to play? Shapen. Shapen was shot-putting it five yards, ten yards max, all the way down the field, and it took Oklahoma State a half to adjust in that in that Big 12 championship game. They pitched a shutout in the second half against Baylor. They essentially pitched a shutout against Notre Dame in the second half, barring that last-minute touchdown. And, you know, Cohn throws for 342 yards in the first half. His career high was 366. He had four passing touchdowns by halftime, tying a career high for a game. And it, you're right, he is a game manager. And, you know, a friend of the show, Brandon Whedon, tweeted during the game, get up and challenge them on the perimeter. Too many completions outside. Any quarterback in the country can catch and throw hitches up and down the field, make it tougher on him like Brandon can see that watching on television and I don't know why they did that. And Jim Knowles was that was there for the Baylor game. So you can't all say this is just, this is not just, you know, the absence of Jim Knowles. And again, the, the three coordinators weren't, they didn't have to answer for this decision. You know, Mike Gundy was asked a little bit about it. And he basically just said, we changed things in the second half by basically what Brandon was asking for taking away some of those short perimeter throws that were an easy five, six yards a pop and so, Colby, I don't know who was calling the plays defensively. I would have liked to have heard whose idea it was to lay off because once they did that and they quit doing that in the second half, it was it was the OSU defense we had seen all year long. But what do you think of the three-play caller system after what happened in the first half? And do you think this was a good debut for uh, anyone
0: trying to get the, the full-time D.C. job? I think it was a good debut for whoever was dialing up the, uh, the plays in the second half. I, I just – it's obviously a weird situation, right? Your defensive coordinator leaves you, and now you've got three guys who are kind of just tag-teaming it. All three of them maybe have aspirations to be promoted into that role. It's, it's a lot on those guys. It's a lot of pressure to dial up the blitz at the exact right moment, to play coverage at the exact right moment. It's a lot. I mean, whoever called that blitz in the first half where they dumped it over the top to the running back for a 53-yard touchdown, I mean, his stomach must have sunk at that moment, because it's like, wow, I guessed wrong. I've talked about it throughout the season that Jim Knowles, as a defensive coordinator, it's like playing rock, paper, scissors, and you already know what your opponent's going to do. I mean, that was rock, paper, scissors for Tommy Reese. Tommy Reese is like, okay, I think right here, they're going to bring an all out blitz. If I can just sneak this running back out, he's going to be wide open. And boom, He went rock. We went paper. No, he went rock. We went scissors. There we go. I forgot how the game's played. He went rock. We went scissors. And that was to the house for Notre Dame. But as unimpressive as the first half was is as impressive as the second half was. I, I mean, Notre Dame scores that touchdown late when Oklahoma State's kind of falling back into prevent defense, killing some clocks, stuff like that. But aside from that, they were pitching a shutout in the second half, and they needed every bit of it. And I thought the most telling thing for the Oklahoma State defense, and, and it couldn't possibly go any other way. could it? Spencer fumbles in, in a huge moment after probably the best game of his career. And at that moment, I, I'm, I'm saying... I'm like, Oklahoma State has to get a stop here and has to win this game. Otherwise, all everyone's going to talk about for nine months is how Spencer Sanders lost the fumble that you couldn't lose. He fumbled in the moment where you can't fumble. But guess what? It was four and out for Notre Dame. They didn't even put any pressure on the Oklahoma State defense. They did not get a single first down. And Carson, I thought that was so emblematic of the way the season transpired for Oklahoma State amazing stuff from Spencer all game, but then you make the one crazy mistake that you can't make and who's there whenever you need them to be there. Malcolm Rodriguez is there and Devin Harper's there and Colby Harvell, Peel and Jabar Muhammad, who was great on Saturday after we didn't call his name all season. And Jaden Jernigan, who's now headed to Missouri, wish him the best of luck. Those guys were there. This just, it's a team, Carson. It's a complete team and every single unit of it was necessary to beat Notre Dame on Saturday
1: yeah I mean, I obviously, I could not be more impressed with the second half performance from the defense, but you're skipping way too far ahead, man. We're still in the first half here. you're, you're jumping I the gun. Know.
0: I know i maybe it's
1: just me wanting to talk about you're getting the- too fired up you gotta we gotta address the first <laughs> half. I know you want to just breeze right
0: on past it, but we gotta talk about it. I gave it like twelve seconds. I thought that was enough. I thought that was you're, satisfactory.
1: You're ready to talk about like the big twelve standings heading into next year, I feel like.
0: <laughs> well, oh, you just got a new quarterback, but we'll get to that way later in the show. Yeah, exactly.
1: Well, I, But we'll get to the defensive performance in the second half, too. And I, I loved everything you mentioned, and we can reiterate some of those things. But offensively, you know, we, we just went over the what went wrong defensively. But offensively, Colby, I didn't feel like they were playing that poorly. I just feel like Spencer missed some very routine throws in the first half. The, the out route to Richardson was a throw you simply have to make if you're a D1 power five level quarterback. The slant to Presley over the middle, I thought were just routine throws that you simply have to make. And look, he had a lot of drops too from, from Tay Martin, which obviously hindered his performance on the day. And, and look, I'm not here to bag on Spencer. He was absolutely incredible. But I do think, and I, I do think the first half wasn't all his doing. The offensive line was getting mauled. But I just, I have to go through it how I was watching the game, Colby. I don't know how you felt in the first half. I just, there were several throws where I just sat there to myself and said, "Man, these are throws you simply have to make if you're going to win at this level." And at that moment, I'm wondering about Spencer. I'm wondering about the future of OSU football. Is he the quarterback next year? And my God, did he play out of his mind in the second half. But I just, I wanted to get your thoughts on the first half before we totally, truly move on to the second half.
0: Yeah, I mean, there was an out route to John Paul Richardson where the defense looked like they had just blown an assignment and Spencer overthrows it, uh, goes over him. And and then both of Tay's drops came on back-to-back plays in the first half. Tay had an unbelievable game. He was a monster. He was unguardable. The only times that he was targeted, it felt like that he didn't come down with the ball were his two drops, and they were maybe Spencer's two best throws of the first half, which made it sting that much worse because it's like Notre Dame is scoring and scoring and scoring, and Jack Cohen's putting up these first-half records at the Fiesta Bowl, and we've got Spencer missing John Paul Richardson, missing Brennan Presley, that throw that you mentioned. It was like five yards behind him. And, and then when he does dial up a perfect throw on the deep ball to today, he closes his hands too soon. It just bounced off his knuckles into the turf. And then the very next play, it, it was a weird Just Spencer took the snap and kind of floated it toward the sideline. They were just perfectly on the same page in sync. Nobody around Tay Martin He's going to catch it and fall out of bounds. Just clanks off his hands again on back-to-back plays. It was wild to watch. It, It was like everything that could go wrong did go wrong. Your quarterback was missing throws. That's a problem. Your quarterback then makes some throws. Your your best receiver who's headed to the NFL draft can't bring them in. It was just like one thing after another in the first half. It felt like they were swimming upstream and the current was just too strong. And Carson, I I really don't know what was said at halftime, but um, I would have loved to have been a, a fly on the wall. And if you could bottle whatever that halftime was, if you could bottle it and break it out whenever you need it, I think that would be really useful to have because that was a second half for the ages from Oklahoma State after seemingly everything went wrong in the first half.
1: Mike Gundy challenged him. He said that he told told every player in the locker room, if you don't plan on coming out and fighting in the second half, you can stay in the locker room. And he he challenged them to a fight. And I think the way the first half ended really gave him the opportunity to do that. I mean, they're in it at that point because Colby – how much money would you have lost to me if I had asked you to wager on OSU sitting on the ball, getting the ball back uh, at the end of the first half, that they were just going to sit on the lead and, or sit on the the game and run it off tackle considering they were getting the ball to start the second half? They go four plays, 75 yards, touchdown. That cuts it to a two-touchdown deficit. How much money would you have lost in Vegas if you were going to wager on them going down and scoring?
0: Honestly, in a bowl game, not that much. If it was the regular season, I would have lost a good chunk of money. But in the bowl game, I'm thinking, they might air it out here. They might try to get after it. That's exactly what they did, and... I mean, I'm telling you, without that drive at the end of the first half to build that momentum and that belief, 28-14, getting the ball feels so much different than 28-7. Because 28-14, I feel like you go into halftime and you know, okay, we go out, we get one score, boom, we are right back in this game. A score and a stop, and then we've got the ball with a chance to tie the game. 28-7 doesn't feel that way. And I'll tell you what, Carson, the throw that Spencer Sanders made on that last drive of the first half, where he floated it, over the top to Brennan Presley and just floated it over the outstretched arms of the defender, hit Brennan Presley right in his hands. It it was like a pillow landing in Brennan Presley's arms. That, to me, was just such a great touch throw. I mean, that's not a guy on an outbreaking route and you just zip it in there 100 miles an hour. That took some touch. That took some class. That's a throw that we haven't seen Spencer make too many times. I got really excited whenever Spencer Sanders made that throw.
1: It was a sign of what was to come in the second half. So, I mean, you score there. As I mentioned, it's a two-touchdown deficit. You get the ball to start the second half. They go 12 plays, 87 yards, just a mammoth four-minute drive. They score, Colby. They're they're down seven. That's how big of a swing that score at the end of the first half was because all of a sudden you're down seven. The belief is there. And OSU's defense really starts to play well. But I want to stick with the offense since we're talking about Spencer. And we can certainly talk about the numbers. You know, he sets a record. He was outstanding. But, Colby, watching this second half is everything you and I have been talking about dating back to when Mike Gundy was wearing an OAN shirt. I mean, it's been that long ago talking about Spencer, talking about the offense. He is not a 12 and 13 personnel quarterback. He is not comfortable throwing from the pocket in a tight phone booth with two receivers running, running out in the flats and with maybe a cowboy back running a route. That's not what he did at Denton Ryan. That's not what he does well at OSU. And Oklahoma State smartly, Mike Gundy smartly, Goes to hurry up, which tires out that huge defensive, often, uh, d- defensive line front from Notre Dame. Mike Gundy mentioned many times in his postgame he was worried about their length and size. The hurry up certainly helped. But, Colby, they start going four wide. Spencer looks more confident than he ever has. Everything seemed easy. They're throwing on first down, which opens up the running game for Jalen Warren. It's everything you and I have been talking about for two years. Like, I I know they love the Cowboy backs. I know Mike Gundy wants to run the football. But this is who Spencer is. He's a spread quarterback. And in that second half, Oklahoma State reestablished what brought them to this point, what brought them to having a logo. They are a spread, air raid offense. Scrap the 12 and 13 personnel. It does not work. You couldn't run the ball against Baylor embrace what you are and it's it's almost like Colby they have to get down to really embrace who they are and I think that's a huge reason for the, the success we saw from Spencer he looked comfortable he was hitting guys in stride a few of them were behind the guys but they still caught it we won't go there he's just he's not a very accurate quarterback even when he's dialed in but Colby don't you agree this Spencer looked unleashed the fact that they were running four and five wide wide uh, receiver sets and they were running you know no huddle
0: spread offense. Spencer Sanders from the final drive of the first half through the end of the game. And we can even say up to the fumble, if you want to the fumble, obviously that's a, a very fluky play and you got to cover the ball up with both arms there. We'll get to that later. That is as in control of a football game as Spencer Sanders has been in his career at Oklahoma State. And it was on a massive stage on New Year's Day at the Fiesta Bowl against Notre Dame. Every time Oklahoma State lined up to run a play, I just had this feeling and we haven't had this feeling often Carson over the last couple of years, whenever the offense has been relatively stagnant. I just felt like there's nothing Notre Dame can do here. It doesn't matter what they try to do. If they try to do X, Oklahoma State's going to do Y. If Notre Dame tries to zig, Oklahoma State's going to zag. Jalen Warren had holes to run the ball. Spencer Sanders, and it's not, none of it was predetermined. That's what I love, Carson. It was zone read stuff with Spencer Sanders and with Jalen Warren where he was truly reading that in. There were a couple of plays in a row there in the third and in the fourth quarter on different drives where they ran the zone read and Spencer took it around the edge for 12 yards. And then the next play, they ran the zone read the defensive end crashes again and Spencer just keeps on consecutive plays and he's just running the ball in that second half for what felt like 10 12 carries 10 12 yards a pop and that opens up so many things for your offense because now then they're worried about Spencer it opens up lanes for Jalen Warren and the way that they ran pardon me the way Spencer threw the ball in the second half I mean Tay Martin was absolutely unguardable the entire game the only person who stopped Tay Martin from making a catch on Saturday was Tay Martin. The, the adjustment to the ball, high-pointing it, doing everything he had to do on that last possession whenever they got down in field goal range and cut it to nine, uh, or maybe it was the possession where Spencer ended up fumbling. I, I can't remember. It, it all runs together now. But that play, you guys know the one I'm talking about at the right sideline, was so big on a third down where you don't have to punt that ball back away to Notre Dame. Brennan Presley made some big plays. Rashad Owens? Had, had a nice catch there in the second half, the 25-yarder that he got late in that game. Jaden Bray did almost nothing that game, aside from the touchdown catch, uh, the nine-yard touchdown that he had. It was just, everything was clicking, and, and I don't know, Carson, do you agree that just from a control standpoint, Spencer has never looked more in control of a football game than he did in that second half? You with me, Carson?
1: I 1000% agree. And, and how could he not Colby? Like, this would be like, like, for instance, the best example I can come up with off the top of my head is imagine putting Tommy Frazier in a Mike Leach offense. It'd be fish out of water. It wouldn't work. That's not the style of quarterback. He is. He was an option quarterback. That's kind of what they've done with Spencer playing him in 12 and 13 Big Ten-style offense. That's not what he does. You go back and just just cue up Spencer's high school footage. It's four and five wide receivers, three at the minimum, him running around like the Tasmanian devil that Mike Gundy deemed him. And that's what he did. He ran for 125 yards. Jalen Warren ran for 82. Spencer Sanders averaged 7.5 yards per carry. And I'm so glad you brought up the zone read. And, again, this sounds like I'm complaining. I, I'm not. I just hope that they, they watch this film and they truly learn from it and embrace who they are on offense. I don't know when Mike Gundy and staff decided to, to run the Cowboy backs and the 12 and 13 personnel so much. I don't, I don't know when this started, but the success of Mike Gundy that he's talked a lot about in the postgame that which we're going to get to was built on air raid, throw it all over the field. And with a mobile quarter, like quarterback, like Spencer, you can add even more dimensions to it, but I'm glad you brought up the zone read. Do you remember when I brought up on the podcast, like Vince young and the Texas offense? Yes. I swear. I brought it up their base before they did anything. They're in four wide receiver sets. Most of the time, maybe three with a tight end, no matter what play they're running. Vince Young is turning and, and, and faking a handoff to a running back in the zone read, whether he's throwing it, whether he's handing it off, whether he's running it himself, they do it every single play. That should happen with Spencer Sanders and Jalen Warren on the field together or whoever the running back is next year. That should be their base play. Not every down, but the zone, they should run 20 to 25 times just a simple zone read where he reads the defensive end. Cause you're right, Colby. Notre Dame kept crashing, Spencer kept faking out them, he kept faking out the camera guy at the Fiesta Bowl, and therefore faking out me in my living room, and he kept turning the corner and gaining huge yardage, so it sounds like I'm complaining, I'm not, I just hope this is a learning curve for the staff that they realize, wow, Spencer looked exactly like how you said, Colby, the most in control we've ever seen. Because that's what he was. He was absolutely sensational. And you have to give Casey Dunn credit here. I'm not trying to just crap on him, crap on the staff. That's not what I'm doing. I'm just, we saw what this offense could be all year when they were stuck in the mud most of the year. And you have to give Spencer so much credit, Colby. First half doesn't go his way. He has some crucial drops on two of his best throws. And he plays the best game of his career. I'm willing to say that. 371 through the air, 125 on the ground four touchdowns, no interceptions, Colby. And, and correct me if I'm wrong. I don't feel like he even threw it in harm's way. Was there a batted pass? Was there a pass breakup that you recall where it looked like he was going to throw an interception? Cause I don't
0: think so. I don't remember an interceptable ball that Spencer Sanders threw. Now, did he have a couple of misses? Yeah. We already mentioned John Paul Richardson, Brennan Presley in the first half. He had a couple of misses, but I don't remember him throwing it in harm's way and me thinking. Zero wow, pass
1: breakups, by the way. Zero pass breakups from Notre Dame.
0: Yeah, makes sense. And, and that sounds about right. And I'm glad that you mentioned Casey Dunn because, Carson, when the game was over Saturday, I thought to myself, and I actually might have said it out loud with the crew I was watching the game with, I'm like, you know, after such a season of mixed reactions, mixed emotions, mixed everything with Casey Dunn, I came away from that game saying Saturday saying, I want that guy back. I want that guy back because I'm hoping that Saturday clicked for him the way it clicked for all of us, the way it clicked for the fan base, that like, oh, my God, that's it. That's what we've been looking for. That's the offense. That is Spencer at his best. And I'm, I'm at the point now where I'm like, give me back Casey Dunn, but bring me second half Fiesta Bowl, Casey Dunn, because that guy was dialing up all the right stuff and had Notre Dame totally guessing, Carson
1: did and it was a thing of beauty i just i do wonder if if this will continue next year are they going to just continue to fall in love with the cowboy back 12 13 personnel phone booth phone booth formations that that remains to be seen but spencer was incredible uh tay martin again tay martin and jalen warren find me two more impactful transfers in the entire country tay martin again just sensational. Uh, He had the, he had the, just the brutal drops. He makes the, he makes the impossible look easy and he makes the easy look hard, (laughs) but he had 10 catches, a hundred yards and three touchdowns. Brennan Presley, who you and I have just been begging for basically since he got on campus to get the football, he had 10 catches, 137 yards. And it just, it was a masterclass in the second half on offense. They, they really, they really had their way Colby. And before we shift to defense, And again, I, I, I can have nice things. I can be happy. It just, you look back, Colby, <laughs> the two fumbles, it, if they don't fumble those, like they run Notre Dame off the field and get even more national credibility. Whereas I think a lot of people now are, oh, Notre Dame just blew it, aw- just choked it off. But man, Presley fumbles going into the end zone, the Spencer fumble you mentioned, which was a legit fumble. I mean they they had to settle for nine points despite their those three drives starting well inside Notre Dame's uh, 20 yard line, I believe. I'll, I'll look it up as we talk. but they they really could have this is how dominant they were, Colby. they They could have won this game by a, a healthy margin, double digits and and a healthy double digit at that.
0: Yeah, Oklahoma State was behind 28-7 at one point in this game, and we're looking at a scenario where minus two fluky fumbles inside Notre Dame's 10-yard line, Oklahoma State could have won this game by 10-17. I mean, Oklahoma State could have won comfortably where you don't have to have Jason Taylor trust his hands as much as anybody in this world trust their hands on that onside kick. Shout out to him for reaching out and plucking that thing out of the air, but um, Brennan Presley's that was so tough, man, because that puts you up by two scores. I mean that was a a big big play in that game. I uh, I think I said something. I might have been having a beverage or something I, I think I uttered out some expletives as he turned the corner at Notre Dame and then boom, half yard line, he fumbles. And, and I got them both right live. I was, we were watching it with seven or eight people. And as soon as the Brendan Presley play happened, I said, now he was still in the field of play. He hadn't broken the plane. That's a Same. fumble. Sure enough. It was. And then on the Spencer fumble shout out to that line judge for blowing that dead as emphatically as that official did, because watching it live, I thought it was a fumble from the initial angle and then on replay it's like oh my god that ball was way out and it was blown dead immediately appreciate that thank you for letting Malcolm Rodriguez and Devin Harper get back out on the field but I mean those are times where Brennan you know you're turning the corner you're trying to get in you're, you're getting pinballed between a couple of guys still you've got to hang on to that ball better going into the end zone and I think that's lesson learned for Brennan you know you, you can't Ball security at the half-yard line is as important as ball security is at your own 25 on the first play of the game. You've got to be wrapped up going into the end zone. And then Spencer on his fumble. You know, the keeper was working a ton, so I don't mind the keeper. He'd been great. I mean, he carried it 17 times and only fumbled once. But, man, that one was a big one. You just – There's no way you can go into that horde of Notre Dame fighting Irish and just have one hand loosely on the ball. That thing has got to be entrenched in your arms to where if the world's strongest man tried to punch it out, he wouldn't be able to because you've got both noses of the football tucked away. Those are major, major lessons that Brennan Presley and Spencer Sanders had to learn on Saturday. And luckily, Carson, they learned them in a win and they didn't end up being super costly.
1: Yeah, share a text from my dad about this sequence with Spencer always always my dad's texts are just they're the best but (sighs) he says when we should run off tackle we don't that's all he said when Spencer fumbled which again we all know Spencer had a great game running the football but Colby they're on the Notre Dame 15 it's second and 14 all you need to do here is kick a field goal just hand it to Warren off tackle uh, of all the times we've wanted Mike Gundy to run off tackle and, and settle for a field goal. This was it. I and mean, again, he doesn't expect Spencer to fumble, but you're, I, I think he's way more apt to fumble than Jalen Warren. Don't you?
0: Oh yeah. You would have to think so. And uh, again, if ever there's a time to just run it up the middle three times and kick a field goal, <laughs> it's up by six with three minutes left against Notre Dame.
1: The 15 is in the 48 yarder for Tanner Brown either. <laughs>
0: This, this is, we trust Tanner Brown range because we ran Tanner Brown out from 48 in the first half. And I'm like, I don't totally love this. Also, what's with the phenomenon? I know he's a right-footed kicker. Maybe it's just where he feels more comfortable. But I feel like throughout the season, he's been so much better from the right hash than the left. That could just be recency bias. But that was well within the, we trust Tanner Brown to ice this game away range. Absolutely. It, it certainly was. But again,
1: the, the defense just gets run out there time and time again in those situations with the fumbles, the Brennan Presley one, I haven't addressed yet. Just it's, I get it. He's trying to reach the football over the goal line. It was kind of strange. He gets hit in his back shoulder, essentially from behind and the ball comes out. And I am with you. I knew that one was out and the Sanders one live and the people I was watching were like, no, sure. He's down. He's down. Those were definitely fumbles and, But, man, let's let's shift to the defense, Colby. I mean, what else can you say? Again, they got shredded in the first half. I think that was largely due to the three coaches calling plays, whoever that was. And, again, they they adjusted well, though. You got to give them credit. They've adjusted well all year with Jim Knowles and now without him. And I thought several players really stood out. And, of course, we're going to get to Rodriguez. But, Colby, to me, the guy who had probably the best game out of anybody – or at least certainly has an argument, is Jabbar Muhammad. You want to talk about a true sophomore freaking stud at corner between him and Corey Black. Corey Black had some great pass coverages on deep routes toward the end zone where he is all over the guy without interfering. You can't play coverage any better than that. But specifically, I thought Jabbar Muhammad, he ends up with eight tackles, seven of them solo. And there was one player in particular, Colby, you might remember it, Notre Dame runs a quick little screen to his side. He has to shed a blocker and then dive at the dude's legs to make the tackle, and he does. It was just an unbelievable individual effort. He was he never put a foot wrong for me, and so there's, there's plenty of stars to get to in this game, but Jabbar Muhammad really stood out to me on defense.
0: Yeah, that actually wasn't the play I thought you were mentioning because there was another big Jabbar Muhammad play that stuck out to me. I'm trying to remember exactly which drive it was. I think it was on the drive right after the Spencer fumble. It it was just a routine second and 10, and Notre Dame receiver split out wide right, tries to just run a generic comeback route, just go up about 12 yards, stop, come back. Jabbar Muhammad's backpedaling as soon as he sees that receiver come out of his break. He breaks on it. He, he dives over the receiver, not through the receiver. He goes over the receiver so as not to draw the penalty. And he bats the ball away without the penalty. And it, and it was it looked so routine, but it's a play that is so hard for corners at the collegiate level to make because you're worried about getting beat deep whenever you don't have any help. You're worried about the P.I. call. I mean, I came away from that game Saturday thinking, man, I don't know that I've said Jabbar Muhammad's name ever. Not once. But I'm sure saying it a lot today, and I would imagine I'm going to be saying it a lot in the future because he was special on Saturday. And, and, Carson, speaking of special, let's turn the page from Jabbar Muhammad. Standing ovation. I think it's only fitting that in their last games as Oklahoma State Cowboys, the two leading tacklers on the team, Malcolm Rodriguez with 11 tackles, Devin Harper with 10 tackles. Standing ovation from me right now in my house. All-time great Cowboys on that side of the ball. And, Carson, I, I mean – who would have guessed when you need them, they're there. And they were there on Saturday.
1: Yeah. And I'm going to wax poetic here. So Malcolm Rodriguez for me, I think you'd have a hard time convincing me of a better player. I've watched on defense under Mike Gundy. I mean, you, you can talk to me about, Emmanuel Ogba, who was, look, a great defensive end. We all know where he went in the NFL draft. We all see what he's doing in the NFL. But as a strictly college football player, you're going to you're gonna have to convince – Like, because this guy should absolutely have won the, the Buckus Award. It's an absolute crime. He wasn't even a finalist. It's an absolute joke. He didn't win the thing. I mean, find me a better player on the defensive side of the football in the country, regardless of position, than Malcolm Rodriguez. He's everywhere. He doesn't miss a tackle. He's tougher than just about everyone on the field. He takes on guys twice his size half the time and and puts them on their butt. The, the interception, he really lured Jack Cone into it. And that's something we've seen all year from Jim Knowles' style of defense. He kind of, he, he saw what Cone wanted to do. He baited him into it and picks off the pass and and culminates really just an unbelievable career. And look, he's not going to have the individual career accolades. Uh, of uh, you know, a Leslie O'Neal, those types. But I've watched a lot of Oklahoma State football over my, over my life, and I've watched every game under Mike Gundy in his tenure. And I thought the Notre Dame game kind of solidified the case for Malcolm Rodriguez as, as perhaps the best player to play under Mike Gundy on defense. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm a prisoner of the moment, like Gundy is calling this the best win of all time. But just as a pure football player, Find me someone better. And I'm sure there is, you know, Justin Gilbert was a top 10 pick in the NFL draft. So it, it kind of comes down to your, your preference, your flavors of defense. But uh, man, what a, what a career for Malcolm Rodriguez. And I thought he really put an exclamation point on it.
0: Yeah, and I think he just kind of embodies the Oklahoma State spirit, right? Undervalued pretty much his entire career. He's under-recruited coming out of Wagner. Even this season, whenever he is one of, if not the best linebacker in the country, the dude just doesn't miss. Everything that he does is spot on. He, he's just, he's a professional at the college level. That's what we've seen from him the last couple of years. And he's overlooked. He, he's not a Buckus Award finalist even. Not that he doesn't win the award. He's not even a finalist. And then it's just draft prospects, he, he's not that high on draft boards. He's going to be a mid-round pick probably. And we're all looking at him and we're thinking, oh, my gosh, this dude, like you don't get past him. He, he doesn't miss assignments. He doesn't do anything wrong. He does everything you would want a linebacker to do. Where's the credit? And that just embodies the Oklahoma State spirit, right? I mean, we're doing all this all the time. I mean, Chuba a few years ago when Jonathan Taylor wins the Doke Walker Award as a career achievement award when Chuba clearly had the better season. It's just being overlooked, being undervalued, and going out and doing your job every single day without all this high praise, without all these flashing lights. That's Malcolm Rodriguez, and he's been such a joy to watch in his time at Oklahoma State. Um, and, And by the way, I don't want Devin Harper to get overlooked either because, yes, I think Malcolm Rodriguez is one of, if not the best defensive player to ever play under Mike Gundy, but... I mean, he had a partner in crime in the middle of the field this year, and Devin Harper was so, so good. And he'll get, he's going to play at the next level, too. I, I don't know if that's going to be as a mid- to late-round pick. I don't know if it's going to be as an undrafted free agent that has to go try to make a roster. But those two guys in the middle were unbelievable, Carson. And, and I know you're only losing two guys going into next year, but even more so than from a football perspective, just from an Oklahoma State perspective, having it be those two Losing those two at the same time, Carson, that hurts because that is the heart and soul in the middle of your defense. And those two were special. I, I don't know that we have seen or that we will see a linebacking duo quite like Malcolm Rodriguez or Devin Harper for some time.
1: Yeah, huge losses. And what's amazing about Devin Harper, though, you know, 95 total tackles this year. He only has 215 total over, over his career. So nearly half of his entire tackle total comes this year and to me this is his one two three four this is his fifth year at Oklahoma State and to me it's kind of sad that we won't see a lot of guys like a Devin Harper who sat behind Eamon Ogbombamiga came back for his senior year and really took hold of it and became really the running mate of, of Malcolm Rodriguez you're right Rodriguez has gotten most of the accolades and he's been unbelievable but Devin Harper has been just as just as effective this year and he was awesome once again. And I just think it's a testament to a guy like a Devin Harper for sticking it out. He didn't get down cause he wasn't starting last year. He, he remained loyal to Oklahoma state and he was rewarded for it. It was this, was, this was, his time to shine and he did. And he was, he was flat out awesome in that game. And just, I, you're right, Colby, it's going to be a huge loss replacing those two guys. I mentioned Corey black and, and Jabbar Muhammad. I think the cornerback spot is in great shape. Uh, two more guys I want to hit on. First, uh, I want to talk about Brock Martin, but first let's talk about Christian Holmes. I mentioned how great Muhammad was Colby on this podcast. I think last year, whenever Holmes was playing early in his career, like I wasn't too high on him. I I felt like most of the times when Oklahoma state was getting beat, it was Christian Holmes, but man, this guy, him along with Bernard Converse as well. It's just, is a reason why their defense is so damn good. He so many guys that play well, but I thought Christian Holmes really came into his own this year and played another outstanding game against Notre Dame.
0: Yeah, I thought he did too. And I, I thought he had really a pretty good season. You know, there were big shoes to fill with Rodarius Williams leaving at the end of last season. I even remember some preseason conversations about you lose Rodarius, you lose Bamiga. What does that look like? And It looked pretty good, Carson. It it was just a blast to watch these guys all year long, and Christian Holmes was a big part of that. Uh, He had a great season. He showed improvement. Yeah, there were times that he got beat. That happens. Corners get beat. A.J. Green, who's about 45 years old, just roasted Trayvon Diggs on a double move yesterday. It happens. But as long as you're winning more times than you're losing, then you're going to be okay at that position. And I think Christian Holmes won more times than he lost this year. I think that can be said on the other side for Bernard Converse as well, certainly for Jabbar Muhammad on Saturday. I mean, these guys were just a complete unit. And yes, losing Jim Knowles uh, is a big deal. We're, we're all curious to see who winds up in that position. But with the exception of a couple of guys, I mean, you're getting a bunch of these guys back next year and they're talented. They play good fundamental football. And I feel like the culture in Stillwater as far as being a hard-nosed defensive unit that teams have to fear whenever you come to their stadium. I think that's been instilled, Carson, and I hope that that doesn't go away because, I mean, teams legitimately have started to fear the Oklahoma State defense. That's something that probably really hasn't happened in our lifetimes, and whenever you start to build that, you have to keep building on it, even if your D.C. goes to Columbus. So I hope that that same mentality sticks around.
1: Yeah, I hope so too. And it's it's a it's a massive decision for Mike Gundy, and I'm sure he's weighing his options. And you know, he spoke about the next steps, and he he was pretty coy about it. You know, he takes some time away, and he he spoke a lot about just what type of defense he wants to be. And and uh, we'll have to wait and see on who he's going to hire to maintain all that. But again, just the way the game plays out at the end, Colby, um, Oklahoma State, they have the two fumbles, and again. they <laughs> – they give up this last-second touchdown, which was the first second-half touchdown given up by the defense since October 23rd against Iowa State. And, again, it shouldn't have happened because Brock Martin gets absolutely tackled by a Notre Dame offensive lineman on the play before. He, he has the quarterback. He's about to sack him, and that would have been all she wrote. And he gets tackled, and they, they're, they're, the officials, who I'm going to get to later – Just totally don't see it. Notre Dame scores, and it comes down to the onside kick, which, again, does anyone love onside kicks more than Jason Taylor, Colby?
0: Jason Taylor loves a football coming his direction at any speed, at any angle. Carson, that was such a good onside kick because he put it in no man's land where – if you try to reach out and grab it, you might fumble, but if it bounces one more time, then it might go across 10 yards, and then it's a live ball anyway, and Jason Taylor just said, I'll take that, thank you very much, and good for Jason Taylor because he trusts his hands a hell of a lot more than I trust mine. Yeah,
1: Mike Gundy kind of – he said this in a really funny way. He was like – he was just mentioning the onside kick. He's like, they, they kicked it to 25, probably the worst person you could kick it to, honestly – <laughs> and that's exactly what he's, what he's referring to. It's like, this guy is Johnny on the spot. He is Mr. Grab the football out of thin air. And Jason Taylor, since we're talking about him, Colby, I think he, it's hard to pin an entire football season on one play. I grant you that. But the pick six he had against Texas changed this season. It changed everything. Because if Texas goes in and scores there, I'm convinced they win the game. I mean, they were, they were all over OSU. It would be tough for, for Spencer Sanders and the offense the way they were playing to come back and win with the deficit they were going to face. Jay, I thought it was almost fitting, Colby, that Jason Taylor makes the biggest play of the season, maybe the biggest play in the Big 12 this year, is the last person to touch the ball uh, off the onside kick, and then obviously Spencer downs it to, to, to end the game.
0: Yeah, I think so, too. I mean, the the plays that Jason Taylor has made in his career, it's, you know, until Trey Sterling got hurt this year, he was the backup, and then he comes in, and he's unbelievable. I mean, last year at Kansas State, this year at Texas, the onside kick against Notre Dame, the guy just has a knack for where to be, where the football is going to be, and when he gets an opportunity to get his hands on the ball, he doesn't miss. And, I mean, that's a skill. That's not luck. It's, it's not luck that every time the ball comes his way, he's ready and he grabs it. That's preparation. That's a skill. And he's fun to watch, too. And he'll be back next year. So, hopefully, we can see him getting his hands on the ball more often.
1: Yep, and that's, that's what's insane about this defense, Colby, is they didn't have Trace Ford and they didn't have Trace Sterling. And it's like we don't even notice because Jason Taylor was so great filling in for Sterling. And Colin Oliver became essentially the, the menace that Trace Ford was rushing the quarterback. So as great as OSU's defense was this year, it's astonishing they lost two guys of, of really all first team, all Big 12 first team caliber. And not only did they not skip a beat, they were, they were arguably the best defense in the entire country. So it was just a really I just thought it was an exclamation point for arguably the best defense in the history of the school, not just Mike under Mike Gundy. And so, Colby, Oklahoma State wins 37-35. There's plenty of post-game fallout from this game. And, and let's start with this. Mike Gundy calls it the, the, the greatest win in program history. I'm going to need some convincing on this. Under what pretense can Mike Gundy possibly say this is the, the greatest win in school history?
0: Yeah, I mean, I get it. I understand where he's coming from. And part of it, Carson, tell me if you agree with this, because we talked last week about Pat Jones his biggest game in school history. And then Mike Gundy says this on Saturday. Do you think part of it, Carson, is a generational gap? Because those who are a little bit older revere Notre Dame maybe in a a way that we don't necessarily? I think
1: that's definitely part of it. I mean, in my lifetime, Notre Dame has been nothing but overrated. They've, They've gotten things handed to them they don't deserve, hence the fact they haven't won a New Year's eve bowl game since 1994 so yeah i I think that's certainly part of it but go ahead
0: yeah i mean i was just gonna say i I think that because we're younger and i'm just a couple years younger than you notre dame for my life has been a lot of years mediocre some years good every time they play in a big game they lose that's been notre dame to me and i've very much been guy that's like i don't care about i don't care what notre dame did under lou holtz i don't care it doesn't matter to me What have you done for me in my lifetime? I mean, I'm nearly 30 years old now. What have you done for me in my lifetime? Not a lot. I understand that they carry a big name, but man, this program has won some big games that that more was on the line than this one. And I think you can go back to the 2011 Bedlam game. I think you can go back to this year's Bedlam game that was just a huge game. Ended your rival season. You get to go play for a conference championship. Uh, Now, taking this year's Baylor game out of it in the Big 12 championship game because we're talking about wins. The 08 Missouri game was a big win. 2014 Bedlam was a huge win. That could have potentially change the trajectory of this program because we don't know if if oklahoma state goes five and seven and they never go on to play in that bowl game i think they played against washington that year shaq thompson's washington team if that doesn't happen maybe this program has a different trajectory you've got the fiesta bowl against stanford there's been some big games in this program's history so this is a massive win but i would really struggle to put it at number one
1: is shaq thompson a household name you just reeled him off like he was ben roethlisberger or somebody
0: uh, i don't know why that name stuck with me from that washington team he, he was like a, a utility filter for that washington team i think he played both sides of the ball and he's still in the nfl i'm i'm too much of an nfl junkie i hear his name called on the red zone and then i regurgitate it
1: like i remember him and he was like i think a first round pick or second round pick you know washington had a bunch of nfl dudes on that team but i i would not have pulled shaq thompson out of thin air like like you so that was <laughs> that was certainly impressive and look, uh, again, I think Gundy's on a high after the game, and I, I, have, I have no issue with him saying it. I just I don't think there's any leg to stand on with it. If, when people ask me my opinion on it, I'd say 2011 Fiesta Bowl. You were already Big 12 champions. You beat a much higher-ranked Stanford team with Andrew Luck, the number one pick in the draft. Stanford had an argument as the best team in the country. If we had a four-team playoff back then, you'd have a hard time convincing me they couldn't go beat LSU or Alabama that year their offensive line was a bunch of NFL dudes they they put it on Oklahoma State in the first half much like Notre Dame did and so for me Kobe, it's about trophies I think the 2011 Bedlam game is bigger than this because you you literally won the Big 12 trophy something you never had before I think uh, I certainly think the Fiesta Bowl which I just mentioned is bigger And that's before I even go back to the the 70s and 80s, which I'm not going to do. I just, again, it's a great win. I mean, Notre Dame, you needed this for national respectability, for national recognition. And I get the old timers and current timers, really. Notre Dame's a legitimate team. They're a legitimate program. Brian Kelly, as we talked about with Caden, has built Notre Dame back from a team that was in bowl games they didn't belong in to legitimate playoff teams and fringe playoff teams. I mean... They they play a legitimate schedule most years. This year USC's down things of that nature out of their control. They did play Cincinnati who made the playoff, but I can't I cannot remotely put this as the number one win of of all time. And I, I get it, it's a great comeback, it's the largest comeback in school history. You can certainly put it up there, but I just I disagree. Let's move on to Mike Gundy with the the logo talk afterwards. You heard it on the intro, and I don't know how you felt about it, Colby, but. I just feel like Mike's been talking a lot differently this year and certainly after the game than we've heard in a long time. And I famously, through two games, was questioning if Mike Gundy was the guy to lead Oklahoma State football anymore. I thought that was a legitimate question to bring up. He'd only won about 64% of his games the last four years. The program, to me, seemed like it wasn't on an upward trajectory. And part of the reason I felt that way is I want what's best for Oklahoma State. I want Mike Gundy to go get big fish in recruiting. I want him to talk big. And look, people can roll their eyes at Mike Holder when he starts talking about dream big, dream big, think big. Oklahoma State can be whatever we we want it to be. But I absolutely love that sentiment. I think it's big time. I don't think you get Karsten Creek built out in the middle of freaking nowhere off highway 51, unless you think that way, you don't get Boone Pickens to donate $150 million. If you don't think that way, this is the first time Colby. I've ever heard Mike Gundy talk this way. And frankly, he should have been, he should be currently talking the way he is now. And I absolutely love it. It's time for Mike to, to, Pump his chest a little bit. Stick his chest out a little bit and start re- reiterating the stats you and I talk about all the time. Top 10 in wins over the past 10 years. Check. Top 10 and wins over the past five years. Check. Oklahoma State absolutely has a logo. I loved hearing Mike say that. I'm tired of seeing Jim Knowles lose the assistant coach of the year award to Michigan's freaking offensive coordinator. Are you kidding me? Did you watch Michigan's offense this year? Did you watch Michigan against Georgia? They couldn't coach their way out of a paper bag against that defense. So the more Mike Gundy talks about it and puts it in people's faces, like the Dennis Dodds of the world, these national hoity-toity riders that just thumb their nose at Oklahoma State, the better. And I thought after the game was absolute perfection for Mike Gundy. It's absolutely the message to send. I absolutely loved it. It was incredible, and I, I thought, as, as happy as I was after the game, Colby, I was even more happy hearing him say that.
0: Yeah, I was, too, and, you know, we've talked about this a little bit throughout the season. I think I brought this up a few weeks ago. His language has been different, Carson, in, in some of his weekly press conferences, in, in some of the stuff. After the games, he's been talking about what they're building and that, you know, if things break right, Oklahoma State could be this brand. And, and his tone has been different. And, and I don't know if it's just this realization that, hey, we're in an arms race here. Brand matters. You know, we're not going to be able to do this whole, hey, we're Oklahoma State, and we're going to take a two-star and make it a four-star. You know, that that's great, but we've got to get better. We've got to take this program to the next level that everyone keeps talking about. His language has been different this season, and that continued on Saturday. Five years ago, I don't think Mike Gundy stands up on a stage, pulls an OSU logo out of his shirt, and says, guess what? We've got a logo, too. All due respect to the guys on the other side, but look what's on my shirt. Look what's on my shirt, because that's something, and this was all what was implied, what he was saying was pretty much, look, I know that y'all don't ever want to give any respect to this logo on my shirt, but what we've built over the last 17 years at Oklahoma State is pretty damn special, and it's something that a lot of programs in this country have not experienced. Oklahoma State has won double-digit games seven of the last 12 seasons. Oklahoma State has been to big-time bowl games not nearly often enough, but when they get there, they win those big-time time bowl games. They beat Andrew Luck in the Fiesta Bowl. They beat Notre Dame in the Fiesta Bowl. Oklahoma State has built a brand and it's built a logo, but not enough people nationally know about it. And Mike Gundy finally, it it seems like for the first time, is out there telling people, you know, people aren't going to seek that information on their own, Carson. You're going to have to go out and you're going to have to shove your logo down there their throat for years until finally they wake up one day and they're like, you know what? I'm not giving Oklahoma State football nearly enough respect. That is a hell of a program they've got down there in Stillwater. The language has changed. The feeling has changed. And what Mike Gundy said on Saturday after that game is what we have all wanted him to say for a decade. And I'm so glad he finally said it.
1: Yeah, and, and he doubled down too in the press conference. You know, Barry Trammell wrote a really good column about Mike Gundy saying Oklahoma State can become a blue blood school. And before people scoff at that, he can say, you can just look at the numbers. Mike Gundy quote, but I think we can legitimately say we've had 17 years now of consistent winning at a high level against good teams and achieved to a certain extent more than what some blue blood schools have over the last 10 years, which is absolutely true. They've won more games than big bad USC who just got Lincoln Riley. They've won more games than a lot of blue blood type programs. And I'm glad he's finally saying, it. like, this needs to be brought to attention because when you're second in wins in a power five conference like the Big 12, which don't even get me started on how shitty the Big 10 is, or the Pac 12, for that matter, which is even worse 0 and 5, another 0 for in bowl games, that joke of a conference they have, the ACC, which is a pillow fight and a half. The fact that Oklahoma State's number two in wins over, over the last 10 years in the Big 12. I mean, the term blue blood gets thrown around. You can debate it, whatever. I really don't care about that. What I care about is OSU getting the respect they deserve. And it appears to me, Colby, Mike Gundy is on a mission to get that respect. So I, I'm with you, man. I, I absolutely loved it.
0: Yeah, I did too. I loved it. I love the language all season. Uh, and I hope it continues. Whenever you do something, let people know about it. Because we've seen this all year, Carson. People keep talking about the Big 12 like it's the Mahomes-Mayfield game in Lubbock. That's still what people think the Big 12 is because narratives in college football are slow to change, right? Everybody still looks at these, you know, whatever it was five years ago must still be what it is today. That's what we've seen in college football. Narratives don't change nearly as fast as reality changes. And the reality is Oklahoma State has elevated itself to be one of the top 10 to 15 programs in the country. Narrative is that it's just a bunch of good old boys in Stillwater. So guess what? force people to realize that yes you are a real football program you're a good football program and you're going to be around for a while and and i think mike gundy is finally starting to talk that way and i really i really appreciate it and as a fan of the university as an alumni i love it and i hope people nationally take notice
1: Mike gundy quote after watching our president and athletic director over the last six months i'm 100 sure they can raise the money to do it do it being becoming a, a a power in blue blood type program. They can go out and get the money. I believe that. And there's people out there willing to give it to make Oklahoma state and change us forever in football. And uh, you want to hear the quote of all quotes from our man, Malcolm Rodriguez. Oh, let's do it. We are a well-known logo across the country. Just one of those things where we bring out the best in people and just go out there and show that we're not no scrub talking like a true cowboy. We're not no scrub. Quote of the year, I thought from from Malcolm Rodriguez, and and I and look, Colby, I don't know they're gonna be a blue blood. I mean, that's that's probably not happening. They're still Oklahoma State. They, ESPN still confuses their logo with Oklahoma when talking about the Fiesta Bowl, for God's sakes. But this was a huge step, and I said that coming into this game. This game was massively important because of the fact that they needed to earn more national respect, and I, I think they certainly did that with with this win. So. Let's get to Bullets and BBs, Colby. What do you got for me? Let's start with your bullet.
0: Oh, man. Do I have to give out one, or can I just give out a slew of them since we're kind of wrapping things up This is the
1: last game of the year. Give out as many as you'd like.
0: Uh, All right. This might take me a minute. I'm going to stand up. Spencer Sanders, you get a bullet for taking over a football game. Spencer Sanders grabbed that game and just absolutely drove it into submission. It's what we've wanted to see from Spencer Sanders for so, so long. I mean, the haters were out. Midway point in the second quarter, the haters were out, they were thriving, Carson. And then Spencer Sanders grabbed that game by the horns and took it over you get a bullet. Uh, Going off the top of my head here, Casey Dunn, you get a bullet because you called that game. Defense, second half, you get a bullet. Malcolm Rodriguez, Devin Harper. Jabbar Muhammad gets a bullet. That's that's a name most people have never said, never heard of. He goes out. He plays a big time game on Saturday. So many things went well on Saturday. Mike Gundy, you get a bullet for what you did throughout the season. Jim Knowles, you get a bullet for your time in Oklahoma State. I I feel like I'm eulogizing this 2021-2022 Oklahoma State team. It's just I want to give out so many more 20 catches combined between Brennan Presley and Tay Martin on Saturday. There just aren't enough to go around Carson, a special, special season and a special game to close that season out on Saturday. So a big shout out to all the guys who had a hand in it. Are you still standing? I'm still standing. Yep. Uh, my, my, wife, was... Carson, my, my wife is in the other room. She just texted me and said, okay, Oprah, you get a bullet. You get a bullet. You get a bullet.
1: I thought that's where you were going when you stood up when you said Spencer, you get a bullet. I thought you were going to go full Oprah <laughs> on us. Oh, that's fantastic. Uh, I'm going to try to narrow my focus a bit. You hit on Spencer. I, I reiterate all those sentiments. Again, I don't even think it's his fault. Sometimes with how he's performed in his career, because I don't think Oklahoma State's put him in the best spot. They put him in a good spot in the second half against Notre Dame. They spread things out. Let him. Let him. Let him cook. You know the the. It's kind of Tell me if I'm wrong here, Colby, before I get to my bullets. This reminds me so much of Russell Wilson. The Seattle Seahawks try to make him a power eye, 12, 13 personnel quarterback. And there's that let Russ cook sentiment up in Seattle. When they go four wide, five wide, Russell Wilson lights it up. He runs around like, like Spencer did against Notre Dame. Can they just, should we start printing? Should we ask Chris University Spirit if they can start printing let Spencer cook shirts?
0: Let Spencer cook. I love it. That's my new phrase. You gave it to me, Carson. I'm stealing it. Let Spencer cook.
1: I mean, I'm going to have to get with Marshall Scott on that and just start printing them from through PFB. Just let Spencer cook. That's all. That's all we need. So I'm going to narrow my focus a little bit and I want to focus on two guys on defense. They posted a glorious photo together, kind of looking up to the heavens after they put a cherry on top of what was an unbelievable defensive uh, performance. And you probably didn't think I was going to go here, but I'm going to to read you a quote from Joe Rogan on wrestlers. Joe Rogan quote, wrestling has no glory. The people that get into wrestling is the pursuit. It's not like a Bentley, a mansion, watches and rings and all that bullshit. The glory is in victory, the pursuit. It's the victory in the most difficult of circumstances, which is amateur, high level, world-class wrestling. It's so hard. There's a mindset they have, and it's so interesting to be around them. They're calm. They have the mindset that very few people outside of wrestling ever reach. And that's what I found myself thinking to myself was that quote from Joe Rogan. It's a, it's a really long quote. You can go watch the video of it on, on YouTube, and it's fantastic. There's the, it's called The Mental Toughness of Wrestlers from Joe Rogan. And, of course, I'm talking about Brock Martin, a three-time state champion in Oklahoma as a wrestler. I'm talking about Mal- Malcolm Rodriguez, who was 30 and three as a wrestler in the state of Oklahoma. And unless you've been in that world, you have no idea what those guys put themselves through. I grew up with two wrestlers at Evan Memorial High School. Johnny Hendricks was on our wrestling team. My two best friends wrestled with Johnny. I knew Johnny. And to see my two best friends with the two lightest weights. So they cut more, per- more percentage of their body mass than anyone on the team they look like they were on death's door cutting weight and having to run miles with the sweats and the trash bags on and all of those things. And I found myself thinking of that, watching Brock Morton make a sack from his backside. Just very few people are built like wrestlers. And I think that totally serves Brock Martin and Malcolm Rodriguez and really makes them into the football players. They are, unless you've been in that world, you have no idea what those guys put themselves through. And I just thought watching both of those guys play their tails off, have the careers that they've had to this point was a Testament to the, the mindset of a wrestler. Cause it doesn't get talked about a lot. It doesn't get the, the TV coverage. We talk a lot about it as Oklahoma state people, cause we're great at wrestling, but man, Brock Martin making that sack from his backside, Malcolm, Malcolm Rodriguez being tougher than everyone on the field. Like it was so fun to watch Malcolm Rodriguez like get into it with dudes that they thought they wanted that smoke and he'd always put them on their butt. Or even when, even when Rodriguez would get a lick put on him from a, from a weak side block or things of that nature, he pops right up, looks him right in the face and says, I'm still here. So I, I cannot say enough about those two guys in particular, the mindset of being a wrestler, two bullets for Malcolm Rodriguez and Brock Martin.
0: Yeah, I love it. Those are absolutely great. Uh, BBs, 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 BBs for Saturday. Um, I mean, we're going to have to go the first half. is okay to just BB a half of football. I mean, that half goes to the DCs, all three of them for playing that soft off coverage and just letting Jack Cohen get a BB. You
1: get a BB. You get a BB.
0: Yeah, I mean, just BBs all around. Spencer Sanders missing throws, Tay Martin dropping balls. It's just we're doing things in reverse. We talked about all the good, now we're talking about all the bad. That first half was a train wreck until that final drive. It was, I mean, even if Notre Dame would have had some success, I didn't expect it to all come in a lump sum like that where they just piled on 28-7. to It was, uh, I mean, it made for a great day and a great second half because you have this all-time greatest in school history comeback. Man, it would have been nice if you wouldn't have make that comeback and you could have just run them off the field if you could have put two halves together. But we'll take one great one. But the only thing I can think for a BB, Carson, is that entire first half.
1: Yeah, that's certainly worth the BB. And, again, they made up for it in the second half. But I think that's, that's a good call. It was just – and, again, like, as bad as they played, Colby, it took huge, two huge, horrible, horrible calls to put them in the situation they're in. And that's my BB, the Big Ten – the Big Ten total. We'll start with the officials that were calling the game for Oklahoma State and Notre Dame. They were a Big Ten crew, which would come of no surprise. The forward pass is a foreign concept to that conference. How about Jaden Brace catch on the sideline? Clearly, you watch one replay, you realize his, his foot that was inbounds comes down first. No review. Not, no review. And a lot of people are coming after Mike Gundy for not calling timeout and challenging it. It's, it's early in the game, and on that call, you're playing Notre Dame in a Fiesta Bowl. I think you kind of want that one challenge in your back pocket for a much bigger call in the game. He was probably relying on the, the officials to do their damn job. They don't. OSU's in scoring position at that point. That backs them up, and they end up getting no points out of it. So the Big Ten officials had a rough game. They were absolutely brutal. And I even joked on Twitter, Colby, I can't wait until the second half when a meaningless five-yard catch is reviewed. First, third down pass of the second half from Spencer Sanders to Brennan Presley gets reviewed. It's upheld. He did catch it. That wasn't meaningless because they went down and scored on the first possession of the second half. So it wasn't entirely meaningless, but this is what I hate about college football replay. It's too ambiguous. Everyone just kind of stands around and waits for this, this mystical replay guy to buzz down. And if he doesn't buzz down, you're totally screwed. It needs to be like the NFL. Give the coaches the challenge flag. If they want to challenge it, great. And if they get it right, they get that challenge back. If they don't want to challenge it, we're going with the, play, the call in the field and we're moving on. And just the, the ambiguity of that, Colby, is just asinine to me.
0: Oh, it's crazy. I couldn't believe that that wasn't reviewed. I, I was yelling about it. I was over at a friend's house, and, and I'm like, we're, we're, we're not reviewing this? What are we doing? What are we doing? And then they, they're, they're lining up to run a play, and I'm like, they're not lining up to run a play. What are they doing? And I'm trying to figure out what's happening here. I'm like, how is nobody seeing this obvious reception that they're not even going to review? It was dumbfounding, to say the least. And uh, again, because you come back, because you win the game, you you don't remember things like that as much. To be honest with you, I'd forgotten about it until you brought it up. But I was sure fired up Saturday at about 1 o'clock our time. It, It was a disastrous call. And like you said, they stopped the game to review everything They'll just, re- they'll review anything just to review it. And then we've got a 25-ish yard catch that we don't review that takes points off the board. It's just, it's really unbelievable how they decide what gets reviewed and what doesn't and how that comes up in the doesn't category when it's a clear catch makes no sense to me.
1: I'm done with the Big Ten refs. You know what the second call I'm referring to is? That they just totally botched. My Gundy was losing his mind on the sideline.
0: Oh, I remember Gundy losing his mind. As soon as you say it, it's going to come to me. Fire away.
1: Foul! Low hit on the quarterback.
0: Oh, oh Carson!
1: Are you kidding me? Like, are, are are we joking? Like, this is that's that was the most routine kind of shove the quarterback down to the ground as he's throwing it play I've ever seen, and they call a low hit on the he first of all, he does not even hit him in the legs. He hits him in like the hip, and. It's on a flea flicker, and I never had this rule. Like Some people were tweeting at me that it's a flea flicker, that the quarterback rules don't apply on a flea flicker. I never could find. There's no ruling on that on on the Google machine that I could find. But just who cares about that? It wasn't a low hit. It wasn't even a late hit. And just the Big Ten officiating crew had had a brutal day. They missed a few calls against Oklahoma State as well, so it wasn't just a one-sided affair. I don't mean to sound like Joe Blow fan. But, man, those were two. The reason I brought it up, Colby, like, Those are two critical swings in a game that are tough to overcome when you're when Tay Martin's dropping passes the way the offense had played to that point that put them in a deeper hole than they really had to be.
0: Oh, it definitely did. And it's the inconsistency of it, right? I mean, Spencer takes a hit kind of like that, gets up a little slow. Obviously, it didn't affect him because he just kept running and zigging and zagging all throughout the Notre Dame defense. But it's the inconsistency of it, and I think that it was on back-to-back drives, Carson. Do you remember, was it on back-to-back drives that Spencer took the hit with no call and then Cohen got the call? Say that again? Do you remember if it was on back-to-back drives that Spencer took a very similar hit and got no call and then Cohen got the call? Was that back-to-back drives? I
1: think it was. A lot of people were tweeting at me about it, yeah.
0: Yeah. Cause it just felt like those two things happened so close together. And on one side, we're just standing watching like we bought tickets. And then on the other side, we've got laundry coming out all over the place. It's like, I understand officiating is hard. Look, I, I umpired baseball at the youth level for a few years. And even then you miss calls, people get mad, they freak out, but this is the fiesta bowl. This is a huge stage with millions of people watching and We've got guys who are highly qualified out here to do this and they're just missing obvious ones. So, it's just – it's the obvious ones that you have to get right, Carson. Um, I think we even talked about that. I mean, there were some calls throughout the season that it's like, yeah, you know, that one could have gone either way. I think at the end of the uh, Baylor game in the Big 12 championship, we had one of those where we're like, yeah, that could go either way. The horse collar on Desmond Jackson, that's not one that you're going to get in the moment. Didn't didn't grab it a ton, whatever. Those are the ones that get missed. It's the obvious ones that we complain about, Carson, and it's the obvious ones that hopefully – we'll see better of in the future because complaining about officiating has increased. Uh, I think with more slow-mo and more replay, we've realized that no officials aren't perfect. They get it wrong. A lot of the time, get the difficult ones wrong. We get that. You're human beings get the obvious ones. Right. Carson, that's all we ask.
1: And what's, what's crazy about it. As I'm railing on this terrible, terrible big 10 officiating crew, I thought they did do a good job of, letting our our corners and and both secondaries be physical and play football, because you watch that in the SEC. I feel like the SEC lets their DBs play a lot more. I did think they did a good job of that, so I can't crap on them totally, even though they were absolutely atrocious, if that makes sense. But I'm not done with the Big Ten, Colby. I'm not done. My My BB continues. This show goes on, to quote Leo in Wolf of Wall Street. The show rolls on. I've been talking about how... Horrible the Big Ten is for five years now. It is time to stop talking about the Big Ten as not only the second best conference in the country, which that, that, that still goes on. It's time to stop talking about them as a good football conference. They've got Ohio State, who is the gorilla in that conference. They are the behemoth. They are the Oklahoma to the Big 12 if we're comparing conferences. We all know that past that you've got a Michigan team that doesn't belong anywhere near the playoff. They beat up on the rum dums in the big 10 Michigan state beats up on the rum dums of the big 10. How bad would Oklahoma state beat Michigan and Michigan state? Are you kidding me? I mean, you want to talk about offenses that are absolutely inept Just go look at the Big Ten. And who's good in that league besides Ohio State? You're going to have a hard time convincing me that anyone is good in that league. And credit to Michigan for beating Ohio State finally, first time since 2011. Good for them. They had a great season. But they also beat up on a lot of bad, horrible, inept football teams. And it's time to stop talking about the big 10. Like they play some great brand of football. They stink besides Ohio state. They absolutely stink. Colby. Do you feel better Carson? I felt like that was cathartic for you. It's, it's not cathartic. It is absolute justification for everything I've ever said on this podcast. Iowa, get the hell out of here. Get out of here with Iowa. They're going to win 10 games, the the, the season in which they don't have to play the big boys in the Big Ten. Just mark it down. They're terrible. They can't throw a forward pass 30 yards. They can't. Michigan State, get out of here with that. They got a lot of transfers. They had a nice year. They would get mollywopped by Oklahoma State. So I am so sick and tired of hearing about how great the Big Ten is. They get this great TV package, and that's true. They got a lot of fans. But what those fans watch is inept 20th century football. Come play, in, come play in 2022, Big Ten, and what happens? You get absolutely embarrassed, which Michigan did. And who knows? Oklahoma State could have gotten embarrassed against Georgia as well. But I'm just saying, the only reason they're even in that position, if Oklahoma State, and I brought this up weeks ago, If Oklahoma State got to play Michigan's schedule, do you know how impressive they would have looked? They would have been more impressive than the schedule they played this year in the Big 12. There's no question in my mind about that.
0: Well, and you look at an Iowa team that's playing for the Big Ten championship. I mean, Iowa throughout the season was regarded as one of the best teams in the Big Ten. They go play Kentucky in the bowl game. They get beat by Kentucky. Kentucky's what? I I don't even know off the top of my head that eighth-best team in the SEC. And and I don't even know. That might be generous. We're not going to go down the list. But the point is... The Big Ten stinks. Ohio State was down this year. So Michigan beats a down Ohio State team this year, and they get in the playoff. And what happens? Exactly what should have happened. They get their doors blown off by Georgia. I I don't know, Carson, if you watched that entire game. I did watch that entire game, which is to say that I turned it off at about the five-minute mark of the first quarter because at that point, no more football was going to be played between two teams that I needed to watch. It was a complete disaster. If Utah's quarterback doesn't get hurt, Ohio State might lose to Utah in the Rose Bowl. Yes, I know Garrett was Ill, Wilson was out. I know Chris Olave was out. Ohio State still has a bunch of talented dudes. They still had uh, Marvin Harrison Jr. out there. They still had Smith and Jigba out there. They still had guys out there. And Utah's quarterback gets hurt. And shoot, they they give up a touchdown drive to the walk-on who's never taken a snap before in his life. Ohio State has been good. They're still living on the Cardell Jones national title team. That, that team was just riddled with NFL talent. We'll see what Ohio state looks like in the years to come, but you're right, Carson, the big 10 stinks. And look, let me ask you this just real quick, top of your head instinct, rank the five conferences for the 2021, 2022 season. This season that was just played rank the five top of your head,
1: SEC one, big 12, two. I can do that really fast.
0: I mean, I go SEC one, big 12, two, and then I would probably I mean, by default, I think I'm throwing the Big Ten in at three because Clemson was down this year, and I don't even know how you choose between the ACC and the Pac-12. I, I guess we'll throw the ACC in at four and Pac-12 in at five because their games are played at 1 a.m. and nobody knows what the hell's going on out there.
1: Pac-12 went winless again in the Big 12 or in uh, bowl games. Pac-12 is a distant fifth. ACC is right there with them. If Clemson's not good, no one in that league's good, but... We all just put SEC number one, and certainly they're, they're top-heavy. you got Alabama and Georgia. They're outstanding. They're great. They're head and shoulders above the rest of college football. We all understand that. But who else scares you in the SEC? Kentucky, Tennessee, Missouri, South Carolina, Florida, Vanderbilt, Mississippi, who got just destroyed by Baylor, albeit they lost their quarterback. Mississippi State gets absolutely murdered by Texas Tech who's no good at all. AM is the perennial underachiever. Auburn, LSU stinks at the moment. Just I know the SEC is great because they have Alabama and Georgia, but it's time to stop referring them as like the preeminent power of college football. They're they're really great at the top, but I'm telling you what, the the middle and, and bottom of the Big 12 can beat up on teams as we as we saw with Texas Tech destroying Miss, Mississippi State. And so Again, the Big 12, I thought, earned a lot of respect. I think Baylor's legit, man. And look, I know they lost Matt Corral, but you have a hard time convincing me they were going to have a ton of success against Baylor's defense. And Oklahoma State now has beaten Texas, Notre Dame, and Oklahoma in the same season. They're the only school that has three wins over, uh, I believe, 10, 11 win programs this year. And so it's, it's a great sign for Oklahoma State moving forward. I think the Big 12's in good position. That's before they even introduce. Cincinnati, UCF, and, and schools like that to the, to the new Big 12. Arkansas absolutely destroys Penn State. Big 10, how great Penn State is. I'm tired of hearing about great Penn State is. Just get destroyed by Sam Pittman and Arkansas. So, no, it's a, it's, a, it's a great thing for the Big 12. They had a good bowl season. Again, another great bowl season. They've had two or three in a row now where I think hopefully this narrative, you know, you still hear people that don't watch the Big 12. They talk about the Big 12 like it's 2010 that it's all offense, no defense. You look what Oklahoma State did this year. You look what Baylor did this year. Hopefully people like Joey Galloway and company, Jim Mora, wherever the hell that guy is, they, they tackle in the, in the Big Ten. They tackle in the SEC. They don't tackle in the Big 12. Hopefully that moron's paying attention because the Big 12 has changed, and they play big-time defense, and they play big-time football. So hopefully they earn some respect.
0: Yeah, and again, it's narrative versus reality because the reality changes much quicker in college football than the narrative. So uh, keep that in mind whenever you hear people talking. you, You know, watch the games go in, look at the records, look at the numbers, because narrative in college football more so than any other sport, NFL has 32 teams. They, they all play each other. They go to the playoffs, single elimination, you win the Super Bowl. So we all kind of know what's going on. I mean, there's a hundred and something teams playing college football. It's just not possible to watch it all and keep up with it all as in detail as we do, like with the Big 12 and with Oklahoma State. So narratives can be dangerous in college football. So make sure that you're not just falling prisoner to the narrative uh, that, that likely has existed Existed much longer than the reality.
1: Yep, I'm with you. Let's get to the Chris's University Spirit uniform review brought to you by Chris's University Spirit, your one-stop cowboy shop. Be sure to shop at Chris Colby, it's hard to imagine a better uniform game than this one. I've never been a big Notre Dame fan. The Golden Domers, you can you can say if if, if they don't meet your preferences for uniforms, that's fine. But it is an iconic look with the golden helmet, their traditional home uniforms. And again, I love the all black. I love, as far as home uniforms, I think those are better. But there's no better road combination than black, white, orange, in my opinion. And you throw in the fact they bust out the Curse of Cowboys helmet, which you and I predicted, with the orange face mask, which you and I predicted. They kind of tipped their hand a little bit on that. I tweeted this during the game, you know. Um, J Dub and the the equipment staff, Justin Williams, and those folks, they've taken OSU's uniforms from innovative with the, the introduction of the new uniforms in 2011. They've taken it to really unparalleled levels with anyone else in college football. Find me another program that has the quantity of helmets that Oklahoma State has combined with the quality of helmets that they have. Look, tech can throw out their garbage helmets if they want. They're not in the same stratosphere as Oklahoma state. And just, it's been so impressive to me, Colby, how they keep introducing new helmets. They keep getting better. They keep improving on past editions. They keep introducing new throwback helmets. There's only so much they can do with the uniforms. You can't introduce, you know, throwback uniforms every year per the Nike stuff and all that. But I cannot, give enough praise to the equipment staff for the helmets they've come up with because it's clear to me the curse of Cowboys they're undefeated in them which again I, I think people put way too much stock in, in that I just think they look outstanding and I thought the combination against Notre Dame was, was absolutely flawless
0: I thought the combination against Notre Dame was great I'm going to have a little bit of a hot take Carson I think this is something that probably 90% of Oklahoma State fans are going to disagree with oh no oh no I like the helmet better with the black face mask. I like the all black helmet with the cursive script and the stripes going through the middle. Not that I didn't like the orange face mask. Of course the orange face mask looks good. I'm deciding between a helmet. That's a 10 and a helmet. That's a 9.9. I liked the black face mask a little bit better. Does that make me anti oh I like the black more than the orange.
1: You're you're wrong on this one.
0: Am I? All right. I, I
1: I think, I think you're, you're too, your focus is too narrow just on the helmet. When they wear it with the orange pants and the white jerseys, the orange face mask goes better with that. It accents it more, you know, your wife can teach you about matching your clothes a little better. I've seen you on the golf course, Colby. You don't, (laughs) you don't match your your aesthetic as well as it can perfectly be matched. This is something like uniform connoisseurs like myself and the equipment staff notice. I think, I think you're wrong on this one.
0: Now I actually feel like I'm talking to my wife. Now does that gray, Go with that other gray. How does that work? Is, uh, is how a lot of our conversations go. No, the uniforms were great. I just, if anybody else out there likes the black face mask a little better, please reach out on Twitter so that I can know I'm not alone on this island.
1: Oh, I, you're, you might not be alone because the, don't get me wrong. The all black version is, is simply outstanding. The matte mat finish on the helmet that they wore when they were showing like pregame warmups leading up up to kickoff, and I saw Spencer Sanders wearing it, I was like, under the bright lights, that thing just looked immaculate. I just, oh, I, I can't get enough of of what they've done with the helmets, and they've really, they've really made Oklahoma State to me the preeminent school in terms of schools that wear multiple uniform combinations. Because look, there's there's a lot to be said for the Blue Bloods. I don't think Alabama should wear anything different. I don't think Oklahoma should wear anything different that's besides the point that their their alternates absolutely suck and are awful. And they look like C brand Indiana when they wear their alternates. Like you turn on the TV. Uh, oh, that's Oklahoma. Oh, that, that's Michigan. Nah, that's Alabama. Oklahoma state's not one of those. They've never had a traditional uniform. They've, they've changed them through the Jimmy Johnson era through the Pat Jones. And that's why I loved when they went to the decision to wear different uniforms every game. And I thought it looked absolutely outstanding. So that's our uniform review, Colby. Uh, any lasting thoughts from um, from the bowl game?
0: Uh, lasting thoughts? Just an unbelievable half of football in that second half. Like we said, without the fumbles, that game could have even gotten a little more out of hand, and Oklahoma State could have roasted Notre Dame. It was just it, it was a great day, it was a great way to kick off twenty twenty two. And one last bullet that I wanted to give out, Carson. All of our listeners, y'all are awesome. The support's unbelievable on Twitter. Whenever we see you in person, just at the games, it's just the support's unbelievable. It's been a great season. Carson, I don't think that we thought two games into the year that we were going to be doing this 12 times after wins. It is so much more fun to do this after wins, especially after big wins. And it was just a fun season. It really was a dream season for Oklahoma State, uh, minus just a couple of minor hiccups along the way. So uh, just all around a great year and, and glad to be a part of it and get to be a part of this pod and uh, talk Oklahoma State football. It's, I, I can't wait for September.
1: Um, I can't either. And before we get out of here, you know, we mentioned Mike gunny talking big. I just hope that – I hope him, the administration, parlays this. Like, Because, again, anytime I've ever been critical – of the recruiting. I just, I want what's best for Oklahoma state. I didn't feel like they were capitalizing on the success that Mike Gundy is now outwardly speaking on. They've been a top 10 program wins wise. I'm not asking them to have top 10 recruiting classes, but get, get it from 25 down to 15 and watch what happens in the, in the newly formed big 12. I just, it's, it's amazing to see where Mike Gundy has this program positioned from where they were two games in when I thought it was a legitimate question to question his, his tenure at Oklahoma state. And this is all that I've ever wanted to see was an upward upward trajectory. And that's what we have right now. And so my last question, before we get out of here and we'll, we'll talk about Jaden Jernigan in the portal on the next show and, and where Oklahoma state, you know, is going from here. But just, I guess my last question is, is that Colby with Caleb Williams, Announcing he's entering the portal with Oklahoma, getting Dylan Gabriel, who was transferring from UCF to UCLA. Now he's going to Oklahoma. Is Oklahoma State the favorite to win the Big 12 next year? Mario Williams also in the portal, reportedly, for
0: Oklahoma. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think it'll be that way as far as a Vegas favorite goes, but Vegas tries to get money on all sides in Vegas. Very much names matter. Logos matter. Narrative matters in Vegas. Vegas. For us, talking about who's going to win the Big 12 next year, we'll see who the defensive coordinator is. We'll see who comes back and who doesn't. But, yeah, I think there's a good chance Oklahoma State, we do make them the favorite next year to win the conference. Oklahoma's lost a lot of guys. They're still losing some guys. Yes, Dylan Gabriel is a really good get in the transfer portal. He's probably – I mean, he's not a Caleb Williams. You know, he was transferring from UCF to UCLA. That's a different level of football than Oklahoma. So we'll see what he looks like next year at OU. I do think Venables and his staff are doing a great job getting guys in and getting ready for next year. But I mean, after what you saw from that offense, the defense, uh, yeah, I think Oklahoma state, there's a good chance we make them the favorite to win the big 12 next season.
1: Well, they got holes to fill. I mean, they're, they're losing some key guys Our Oklahoma state, but we'll, we'll definitely break that down. And, and as the, the, the pods continue moving into the off season, but Again, unbelievable year. We're going to put out a call for Twitter questions on our next show later in the week. And again, I want to reiterate what Colby said. Our our listeners are are outstanding. I love all the feedback we get when we're out in the public and even on Twitter. It seems like every time we post one, someone tweets at us that they listen to every show. And that that means the world to me. And I know it means the world to Colby as well. And so we just want want to thank you guys as we move into 2022. Colby, Oklahoma State, Fiesta Bowl champs. We've got a logo, too. Oklahoma State has a logo, Colby. I'll leave it at that, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. Fiesta
0: Bowl champs, we've got a logo, too. Go Pokes.